And then one of the cooler things that happened, and I actually saw this when I was on the highway the other day, is then all these people, you remember back in COVID in Canada, like all the truckers that went up to Canada to like do these mile long thing of like, hey, all the truckers are here to say like, you need to start letting people out again, right? Well, the same thing happened like from all these states that said, no, Texas has the right to defend their stuff. This convoy, they called it the Freedom Convoy, started going down to the Texas border. And we were leaving the Spurs game the other night, Maddie and I, uh, my daughter Maddie, and we're driving north on 35. And there is prob there's like five to 10 miles of just semi trucks next to each other going like five miles per hour on this highway. It's like, and we're like, what the heck is going on? Aren't we glad we're not going the other way? And it was the convoy. It was the convoy of people that are driving down to the Texas border to kind of do that standoff of support. So there's been a lot of jokes about Texas Civil War, what's going to happen uh, with all this. I don't think it's really going to, I mean, I've joked on my own social medias about the Civil War movie that's coming out in a couple months. It's really just a documentary of what's happening right now. But um, the it's a big deal for a state to say, no, you're not doing your part. For the feds to then say, like, no, we get to come in and do this. And then half the country said, no, Texas is right. And the feds gave a deadline, said, if you don't do it by this, we're coming in by force. And now the deadline has passed. They're not coming in by force. I don't think the feds going to do anything anymore. Uh, I think Texas now gets to control its border. Welcome back to the King's Table podcast, everybody. Uh, so good to be back. We got the full crew together. Uh, I am your host, Ashish Nathu. I am joined by my good friends, Aaron Amuchastegui, the trend spotter himself, logging in. We unfortunately missed him last week. He is missing a critical meeting he never misses just to be here. Um, the sage himself, Mike Ayala, and of course, the hero of hospitality, repping the dad gang hat, Maddie Atchison. Good to see you guys. Um, we have a really great full docket today. So many interesting topics. But before we kind of get into the discussions, I uh, wanted to share as big news for all of our audience that we are now going live on audio podcasts. We are no longer just doing YouTube. So thanks to Matt and Mike, uh, we out vetoed. I'm gone Mooch. one week. I'm gone That's one right. week. You no. guys take a vote live on the podcast. We got Mike's fireworks <laughs> going off. I can't leave you guys to your own uh, choices when I'm gone. We, we strategically took a vote the week that Aaron was gone. And there you go, guys, serving our audience. We had a lot of people ask us to not only just be on YouTube, but be on, you know, Apple and Spotify and all the fun stuff. So you're going to get us in audio only formats starting this week as um, well. So make sure as well. And we're make still sure on YouTube for comments. the hardcore fans that want to chat with us. Yeah. Don't, don't let Aaron down guys. Keep going to YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, we have, we've, we've grown our following there. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. I want to shout out a couple of people that have been following and giving us some great comments. Uh, Turn Ogle said, love the new intro. If you guys haven't heard, we just launched a new intro to the podcast. Uh, Michael Kager is loving the podcast as well. Feels like our AI is going to be negotiating deals, Maddie, in the future. AI and, against uh, AI. Yeah, it's going to be AI versus AI. And Cody Cross Real Estate One, thanks so much for commenting, Cody. Uh, love what he, this guy asked us a question. Maybe we can process this at the end. 
He asked, if you're talking to your 20, 25, 30 year old selves again, what questions would you be asking? Such a good question. Um, such an important question to be thinking about our thinking as we get older. Mike, you had a, a, a topic that you actually put into the chat about how successful people need to think about our thinking and spend more time thinking. So just we're totally resonating with the audience. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, but lots of fun topics. So I'm just going to get right into it. The fresh news off the docket, the Fed holds rates, decides not to lower them. Um, that is effective today, this morning. Uh, as of last week, the Dow and the S&P hit a all-time all record. The Dow is upwards of... My gosh, 38,500 and the S&P is upwards of 4,900, um, high as it's ever been in the history of the stock market. And there's just no recession in sight. What are you guys seeing? What do you think? Um, what are the indicators you're looking at? And what, are you, what if anything, are you concerned about? Is, I'll, I'll just jump in. I think the interesting part about that is, you know, they're starting to back off just a little bit. Um, based on, you know, they were pretty bullish. I even said when we talked about it a month or two ago, I was surprised that they said, we're going to do a bunch of cuts next year. Because they said it early. And by saying it early, then the market rallied, then everything pushes up. And if the market continues to rally, they're not going to be able to drop rates, right? If everything's pushing high. And so by them announcing it early, I think it kind of locked them into this. Like if they don't do it, then they're liars. But by announcing it early, it's going to be tougher to do it. And, um, the stat in that art, the Bloomberg article, you know, as a result, just says investors see a uh, roughly 40% chance now that the central bank will lower rates for the first time in March, right? So the, so the last rate hike was eight months ago, right? The, and now they're saying there's before, like if you had looked at this stat, even just a two or three weeks ago, they thought there was a 70 to 80% chance they would have had several drops by March. And now there's less than half that the first drop is going to be in March, which means it's more like at least the people that are surveyed, it's more likely we're not going to see a rate cut first quarter. Uh, when we do see our first rate cut, it would be second quarter. And the stock market needs to slow down for them to be able to do it. If the stock market keeps on ripping, I don't think they're going to be able to lower it in second quarter. Or they'll, be, they'll just make a small adjustment. I think the stock market's already adjusted to the fact they thought rates were going to go. So my, that's, my, that's my quick opinion on it. I, I just don't think they should have predicted it uh, early like they did. I agree. The Fed has kind of played their their hand a little bit too early, but at the end of the day, it was already writing on the wall. They just couldn't be as transparent and candid about it, right? Jerome Powell is uh is is famous for his his normal quote of, you know, we'll do whatever we need to do in order to fight inflation, right? Which is kind of his his safe uh response to you know when people ask when the fed's going to cut so i think yeah it's def I, I think that um it's most likely going to happen after march um but there still is uh, i think as of today i'm looking at the fed funds rate right now it's a 37.1 percent chance of a cut so depending on what happens in you know february and what kind of data trickles in that could accelerate you know and increase that percentage of of it happening um, but I know Lawrence Yoon, uh, the National Association of Realtors, um, yesterday essentially came out and, you know, kind of they gave their economic outlook and predictions for the, the market as a whole, stating that they think there's going to be some healthy growth. Um, it is funny, though, right, when we talk about two different narratives and 
which one do you buy into? You got two big organizational groups with a lot of data, a lot of access, a lot of resources, and a lot of influence, one being BlackRock. And their statement per Bloomberg was Investment Institute upgraded its U.S. stocks outlook to overweight from neutral, meaning they're going to be aggressive on the U.S. stock market and, and the potential of it this year. And then you got the New York Fed releasing in a Business Insider article pricing in a 63% chance that the economy could enter a recession by the end of the year. So kind of two differing narratives, but I think at the end of the day, when you dig into the data, they're going to be cutting and it's going to create some, you know, some, um, some activity in some areas that have been a little bit stalled out. One last quick thing on that article. So their statement said, the committee may tweak its guidance on interest rates, dropping a reference to a possible firming of rates in favor of something neutral, like a stance of policy. So meaning like that they weren't going to, uh, you know, make any changes at all. I just, um, <clears throat> I had Tim pull up this article. Tim, will you scroll down a little bit to the top of the article? Um, yeah, so this is interesting just thinking about this because, you know, I mean, even with the Dow and, and the S&P 500, I mean, it's a good indicator. And yeah, it's a great thing to, you know, make money and be watching the market if that's what you're investing in. But the reality too is, you know, a lot of these are made up of such a small percentage of companies too. It takes the average of um, the the companies that are in there and kind of, you know, gives us the, the Dow Jones industrial average or whatever it is. But if you look at this article um, from Zero Hedge, it talks about how, and this was Friday, January 26th. Um, earlier today, we reported that according to Biden's Bureau of Economic Analysis in the fourth quarter, US GDP grew at a torrid 3.3% pace, which beat everything that they were projecting. But what's interesting, if you look at this chart, and I won't spend a lot of time on this today, maybe we'll you know, dig into it deeper. But if you look at this chart in this article from Zero Hedge, if you look at the Q4 GDP increase versus the Q4 budget deficit increase, and then the Q4 debt increase, this is really interesting. And we talk about this a lot on the show, you know, getting conflicting um, information and market indicators. But what's really interesting, the chart below that actually shows that for the first time, the federal interest payments have surpassed $1 trillion for the first time ever. Mm. So when you look at this, um, this article actually points this out. But what's really interesting is it basically takes $2.50 of new debt to generate a dollar of GDP, which is just freaking mind-blowing. So when we focus on these you know, reports that come out with you know, high earnings and, and the Dow and the S&P 500 and companies are doing great, um, yeah, that's great. But, you know, the bigger issue, and again, I'm, I'm always the guy that says, I don't know if it really matters because we're just going to print into an oblivion until it stops at some point in time. And, and again, just kind of, you know, talking about the duality around this, we're not controlling the debt. We're not controlling the Fed. We're not controlling the interest rates. So, you know, my take on this is as long as we're in a fiat system, we have to take advantage and again, really learn, you know, what can we as average everyday human beings do about this? They're not printing or they're not going to stop printing anytime soon. So the reality is, um, as Kiyosaki has said for years, savers are losers. We have to figure out where to invest. But this is just mind blowing. It takes $2.50 of new debt to generate a dollar of GDP growth, which mm. is just mind blowing at the end of the day. I think it's fascinating, Mike. So like, from that perspective, you're saying that a lot of the 
economic growth of the stock market, let's call it, um, is because of the amount of money that's in the system. Most of it is debt, not necessarily representative of optimism. I guess my question is, is for all of you guys is, okay, well, that being said, if, if the rep, if the fed has already signaled that rates will start to adjust this year, which is only one lever that we're talking about now, where do we see sort of the end of this year in terms of what segments will grow, what segments won't? So are you saying that, okay, the debt's got to keep increasing in order for the GDP to grow as of the, I think the fourth quarter, the economy grew 3.1%, which was like a huge blowout. It represents a lot of the January growth in the stock market. Like people were just um, super surprised that the economy grew as as strong as it did. And so this soft landing or bumping landing may be way smoother than we expected. Um, so where does this take us a year out in what commodities or what categories? Uh, we've talked about on the podcast that real estate is expected to go higher if interest rates goes down. What are what are some of the things you guys are thinking about in terms of asset classes that people can consider? Let's go around the docket. Let's start with Maddie. What do you think, Maddie? Where are we going to end up this year by the end of the year? With commercial real estate specifically or what do you, what do you mean? everything you feel like do you feel like okay if interest rates start to adjust the the um you know there's a resilient labor market unemployment's like literally bottom right it's almost zero consumer spending is still pretty strong like do we just continue and maintain this level of growth by the end of the year uh have they have they been successful has the fed been successful um well, where I- do you see this kind of in multiple asset classes by the end of the year I mean, I think this will be the year that we could probably put a label on successful or, you know, if there's alternative labels on what the Fed has done. But I think for the most part, in spite of everything that's gone on the last three to four years, they've done a pretty damn good job, you know, navigating this turbulence. Uh, I can tell you what I'm doing. I mean, right now, I'm going to throw a pretty good chunk of money at the market because the second they cut interest rates, there's going to be some upside to be had. Um, and I've been dollar cost averaging my way through, but I'm actually throwing a good uh, lump sum into the market as well um, with my financial advisor and a handful of other people just um, that I know are, are looking at it through the same lens. So I think there is definitely um, you know, some good potential upside in the stock market. Um, but honestly, right now, I'm keeping a lot of dry powder still available because I do believe that there is going to still be some variables that we do know are going to create some turbulence. And I also think this year there's going to be some curveballs around the corners that we can't necessarily see that are still unforeseen that could create some turbulence as well. So I Hmm. am in a very opportunistic and aggressive mindset right now. Um, At the same time, you know, I think there's going to be very specific asset classes that have uh, a lot more of a challenge this year in commercial real estate. I think single family is gonna still hold very strong. Lawrence Yoon and um, the chief economic um, advisor for National Association of Realtors um, and their economic outlook is that there's gonna be some stable growth. Uh, I thought it was funny that Robert Kiyosaki said that he thinks the real estate crash is coming this year, which he's been a, a, a perma bear and called many crashes that have never happened. Um, that being said, he noted that he thinks the asset class of STRs is going to be kind of one of the lead dominoes that hits uh, single family real estate 
I don't think with the level of demand that is going to be in single family and the level of supply that it will be a domino big enough to have that large of a ripple effect from a macro perspective. But I think in certain economies, there's definitely going to be some um, you know, opportunities where they're cracking down with legislation, with policy, and people bought these assets based on short-term, you know, cash flows versus the, you know, worst case scenario of a long-term tenant having to stay in there. So I think there'll be opportunities there, but I don't see anything catastrophic there. Mm. Mike, you agree with Maddie? Yeah. Stock I, market and stay with some bright dry powder and see what yeah, happens. I, I agree with everything Maddie said, um, including, you know, housing, but I think circling back to what Aaron said before I pulled up the zero hedge article, and, and even confirming, you know, I think the Fed has done a good job. And this is something that I've talked about a lot in the past. We're in a different era. And the Zero Hedge article really points that out. That's what I was kind of driving at. I don't know that the Fed actually knows what they need to do three months from now, six months from now. And so for us, I don't mean us as the king's table, but for us as, you know, investors, business owners, just everyday humans, I think we have to watch this really closely because when you look at the amount of debt, again, it takes $2.50 of debt to get a dollar of GDP growth. We're in this era that we've never been before. And I think that that's what the Fed is really challenged with is threading the needle because what Aaron so rightly pointed out is, I mean, they're, they're, they're having to control inflation. And it's like this double-edged sword because if interest rates come too low, people are going to come out in a fury, development's going to happen, housing prices are going to go back up. So they're, 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 they're having to battle, you know, multiple mm. sides of this argument. But the thing that's very apparent to me is the influx of capital or debt into the system, 250 for every dollar of GDP is not slowing down. It can't slow down. And that just naturally by nature creates inflation. That is the definition of inflation. There's more dollars chasing goods and services. So I think there's not just interest rates, but also the fact that we are in such a debt-consumed world that as debt keeps getting printed, there's pressure on inflation to go up. And therefore, if they drop interest rates too low, it's going to create further inflation. So I don't, I don't know that prediction... <laughs> I don't know that I can even predict what's going to happen by year end because I don't think the Fed knows what they're going to do three months from now, to be honest. I think they're watching something that's a very, very challenging thing, and it's new. This isn't something that we can look back to, you know, what happened in 1980. So many people want to say, well, in 80s, the inflation went through the roof. Well, that's true, but it was a completely different time. So um, I agree with Maddie. I agree with Aaron. I think watching what the Fed is going to do is, is important, but also I, I don't think they really know. I think they have to watch on a, a live basis, and they might change their mind two weeks from now. Let's let's pivot to the border. It is a topic that we talked about last week. Um, Maddie and Mike processed it a little bit. <clears throat> Lots of new information coming on this week. Texas is suing the federal government, saying that they are uh, going to take over uh, this responsibility of protecting its border. Uh, they're calling it an invasion. Uh, Mooch, you shared an article. Why don't you kind of tell us why is this important? What's really going on here? What do you think is really going on here? You guys live in Texas. What are the conversations happening on the street um, in your circles? And, you know, what, what, is, what is really going to end up here? 
Uh, is the state going to win? Is the Fed going to win? But just a really fascinating situation right now. Yeah. There's been so many, you know, articles and videos and TikToks this week of the people talking about it, you know, and there was uh, you know, one of the Texas senators went out and he said, hey, New York City said that the biggest problem that they're facing is illegal immigration. And there's like 100,000 illegal immigrants in New York City, you know, and the guy and the guy says, hey, if there's if that's breaking New York City. Then what's six million people supposed to do to Texas? What Greg Art, what Greg Abbott had posted there. So they, you know, this week they transported a hundred thousand migrants to sanctuary cities. So essentially, the ones that the, the illegal immigrants that got across the border, um, they've been trying to help them go to other places. What happened over the last week or two? Um, I mean, and you guys talked about it a little bit last week, and I thought Maddie was great in the sense that he said, "Hey, I, I, I'm not against immigration, right? We, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for immigration. It's illegal immigration." Um, that creates issues. And I've got people that work for me that were illegal immigrants, you know, for a long time too. So these, so as, as we split back and forth on it, I'm not, we're not judging people, but we're judging economics and the system. And why is our country different than everywhere else? Because, <clears throat> because Canada is very different when it comes to letting people in everywhere is very different when it comes to letting people in the news that happened over the last couple of weeks though, was Texas said, Hey, we're going to start securing our border better. We're going to secure our border with National Guard because the feds keep letting everybody in and it's a crisis and we're having to bust people out. And why don't we just do a better job at the border? Right. Back to policy from years ago of like, let's build a wall. Let's, you know, let's keep it that way. And then the federal government sends uh, people in to start cutting down the, um, the barb, essentially this extra barbed wire and stuff. They're trying to secure the border more. I said, no, that's not uh, humanitarian. The Supreme Court says, Feds are right. Texas can't do this. So then they send the so they send the the federal uh, border patrol in to start cutting down the the, the barbed wire again. And then Greg, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, says not going to do it. We're going to bring out the National Guard. Texas has its own army. Essentially, the Texas National Guard is not a small uh, army by any means. I read a stat that it'd be like the twenty fifth largest army in the world or something. The Texas National Guard would be pretty interesting uh, stuff The if that number is anywhere close to real. So then they've had, they've had this battle back and forth where essentially now Texas National Guard is not letting the Border Patrol in anymore. And so they've essentially kicked, the, kicked them out of that. Hey, they, they can't. So that's the battle back and forth. Then Biden said, hey, you've got until tomorrow, which was like the 26th, to let us back in or we're going to show force. Well, the and Abbott said, nope not going to happen. We're not letting you back in. And then 26 other states started saying, Texas is right. Texas has the right to secure the border. Abbott brought up all these things with the constitution that said, Hey, that's right here. If the federal government doesn't protect our interests anymore, we're allowed to protect our own interests. More than half the states agreed. And then one of the cooler things that happened, and I actually saw this when I was on the highway the other day, is then all these people, you remember back in COVID in Canada, like all the truckers that went up to Canada to like do these mile long thing of like, hey, all the truckers are here to say like, you need to start letting people out again, right? Well, the same thing happened like from all these states that said, no, Texas has the right to defend their stuff. This convoy, they called it the Freedom Convoy, started going down to the Texas border. And we were leaving the Spurs game the other night, Maddie and I, uh, my daughter Maddie, and we're driving north on 35. And there is there's like five to 10 miles of just semi-trucks next to each other going like, five miles per hour on this highway. It's like, and we're like, what the heck is going on? Aren't we glad we're not going the other way? And it was the convoy. 
it was the convoy of people that are driving down to the Texas border to kind of do that standoff of support. So there's been a lot of jokes about Texas civil war, what's going to happen uh, with all this. I don't think it's really going to, I mean, I've joked on my own social medias about the civil war movie that's coming out in a couple months is really just a documentary of what's happening right now. But um, the, it's a big deal for a state to say, no, you're not doing your part for the feds to then say like, no, we get to come in and do this. And then half the country said, no, Texas is right. And the feds gave a deadline said, if you don't do it by this, we're coming in by force. And now the deadline has passed. They're not coming in by force. I don't think the feds going to do anything anymore. Uh, I think Texas now gets to control its border. Um, and I think it's uh, pretty cool to see if the other states hadn't jumped on. I don't think it would necessarily be the same story. I mean, Texas would still be willing to fight the battle, but the feds might be willing to fight it harder if they didn't realize that more than half the country supported Texas. In that. It's wild how many um, news and media outlets, I mean, you, they're not covering one minute of this, which is which completely is, backwards, which is wild, right? Huge and, news down here. I mean, it's, it's to me, that's, that's telling there's so many uh, ironies in what's going on here. First and foremost, like the same government that sued Texas to halt protecting the border by removing the fences and cutting down the razor wire is the same government that erected a seven foot fence with razor wire around the Capitol when all of the Palestinian protests and everything were going on. Right. So like it's, it's a perfect example of their hypocrisy. And I saw a funny little uh, meme the other day that was if the United States saw the United, what the United States is doing in the United States, the United States would invade the United States to liberate the United States from the tyranny of the United States. And I just, I thought it was yeah. funny, right? Like all, huh. were all of the same stuff we're using as excuses to go and fight wars in other countries, we're literally doing here in America. Um, and it's just being, you know, packaged up in a bow very differently. So I, it's, it's interesting from that perspective, but I think there, you know, there's many reasons why people want closed borders that are not anti-immigration. They're just anti-legal immigration, right? But this narrative that is being created around it is very interesting to me. But then as you start digging in and going, well, why, why would they be fighting? Like, not only are they saying- Why no, is this issue- why why is this controversial, right, Maddie? This should not be controversial. Yeah, well, and just in, in the sense of it's one thing to say, hey, you know, we we feel we're doing what is necessary to keep our borders safe. But now it's going, no, we're actually fighting against measures that are enhanced and even more protective of keeping our country safe because we're seeing cities get overrun and schools and hospitals and social programs and all of these things getting overrun because of a massive influx. And you keep hearing them say, well, this is for, you know, people fleeing tyranny and women and children. And when you see a ton of the videos of who is actually coming across the border, majority of them are military aged men. And there was a video that just came out of a massive group of Chinese uh, migrants that came over through and they were all standing, you know, hands behind their backs in military formation. You saw that video and I, I don't know if Tim wants to pull that up, but there was another video of a guy that said, oh, you're not smart enough to know who I am. You'll know who I am soon enough. And the guy, you know, disappeared into wherever land. And what they found out was this guy was sentenced to 10 years in Guantanamo Bay, you can even just play this clip real quick because I want to, you know, show this is the type of 
stuff that people are concerned about, right? It's it's not about, oh, it's coming across our border and we have a problem with that. It's no, this is a national security issue. This is an infrastructure issue. This is a health and wellness issue. When you see articles of women getting raped or murdered or businesses getting broken and stolen into and oh yeah, this is somebody that came across the border, they're illegal. And now you're seeing non-citizens have more rights than our actual citizens. That's a problem. But you can go ahead and play this video because I think this shows the magnitude of some of the concerns on the most extreme levels. Smart enough you would know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're gonna know who I am. So he was the chairman of the Islamic party. Oh, and by the way, he was sentenced to 10 years of imprisonment. Aaron, right? So like these, how many of these types of individuals are coming across the border that this is somebody we know about? How many do we not know about, right? And, and, and there's another video that I would love to queue up. There's this guy, his name is Matt Attack. He just wants to move. He just, he really just wants to move to Austin for the barbecue. <laughs> not, not that's that really why he's, uh, the other that's why he's crossing the border. Stay in okay? Austin. Just to be clear, he just wants to come to America for the barbecue. Sure, and I can't knock him for that, well, man. Yeah. We got good barbecue, you know what I'm saying? I like I like food too. My nickname's Fatty Matty for a reason. But that being said, <laughs> there is a guy named Matt Attack that uh -huh. got invited to, um, just through some of his podcasts and some of the kind of grassroots news stuff that he's been doing. He's a little James O'Keefe-ish um, Asian dude. And Tim, if you can pull up that video... I think it's the third or fourth link in, in the one that I sent over on that particular topic. But he actually goes to a level of breaking down at the root of strategy behind why this administration wants open borders. And if you can pull that video up, I think he does a great job of, of, of talking about, you know, what some of the real reasons at the root of this could turn into and, and how that could lead to a much bigger issue than just open borders right now so yeah it's a yeah it's a pretty simple explanation of why when you know when ash when you would say why 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 would the other side want open borders but i think the overall summary when this video comes up the if tim can't find it the overall what's summary the of this video argument? what's is the like, logical non-political argument for the, why the political argument yeah. is that illegal aliens are going to vote democrat yeah, we, uh, we, for, we for talked democrat. about that and we agree but what yeah. is the non-political citizenry argument for, it yeah, should, this is a good idea? The only other good idea was that it would bring down the cost of goods the, because the more people that are willing and able to work and willing and able, usually willing and able to work for less money uh, than, you know, college educated people. And California is a big thing. You know, the, the, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if when it talks about like the farms in California, I remember living there and it was a big deal. And they were like, who else is going to be working like uh, like the really really hard jobs like <laughs> most of the time like bullshit. there's like to say that yeah that's our, that's not what that's not what's happening well it's just well, crazy that's i, what I don't they, i don't think saying. that aaron is i don't I think, think aaron, mike, mike is turn mike can jump in well I, I i was just gonna say i don't think aaron's arguing for that ash you're asking for like the logical which i think is a i think ash you're you there is no logical not argument. Us, yeah. the, the logical answer is create a system that allows legal immigration and it doesn't take eight or nine or 10 or 15 mm -hmm. years to get through it. Right. My family 
they, I mean, they, they, I remember going to my dad's, um, when he became a citizen, you know, and I mean, he worked his ass off my stepdad to become a citizen. And there was a guy that worked for me back in the day. I won't mention his name. Um, and I didn't know just as a disclaimer, I didn't know he was illegal. Um, but he worked his ass off for like 10 years, uh, to try to get his citizenship. And so we've got a, there's no logical explanation to this other than what Aaron, the, I don't think Aaron was arguing for that. And I do think that I know, I know like that whole argument around, you know, Americans don't, when was the last time that you saw a, an American, you know, doing somebody's lawn or, or picking berries in California, it doesn't happen. So it is True. a logical argument. Mm -hmm. Um, but the answer to it is not open the borders. It's, it's figure out how to legalize this system. And there's no logic to it whatsoever, because what Aaron was saying is the truth. Like they want voters, they want people to come in. Um, it's there, there's no, there's no logical answer to this. Well, here's, uh, this yeah. guy does a great job of doing research and, and really digging in on some pretty controversial topics. And, and this one, go ahead, you can play this and we can talk about it in a second. Establishment run invasion at the Southern border is to permanently change the U.S. electorate forever. And the solution is obvious, but first, a video for context. Numbers you need to understand. Yale University released a study last week by three researchers, all of them liberal, I believe, who concluded that the actual number of illegal aliens in this country is not 11 million, it's north of 22 million. 22 million. Mm. Fact one. Fact two. The Democratic Party is now, as a matter of policy, calling for the legalization of all illegals in this country. Citizenship voting rights. 22 million new voters. Fact mm. three. The overwhelming majority of first-time immigrant voters vote Democrat. Fact four. The largest margin in American presidential history was 17 million votes, 1980 election, rather 1984 election between Mondale and, and, and Reagan. And Reagan, yeah. 17 million. You would add to our voter rolls 22 million, at least permanent electoral majority in perpetuity. That's what this is about. It's not about making the country better, serving our labor needs, helping the population. It's about putting Democrats in power forever. Are that you, is the yeah. truth of our immigration debate, period. The goal is to permanently change the electorate and keep one party in power forever. Here's a couple of solutions and observations. One, there is no physical way to remove 22 million new people. I'm sorry, but to there's, yeah, how are you going to remove that many people? Billions of tax dollars would need to significantly increase the size of the federal government to even attempt and would require the mobilization of military domestically to round up said people and forcefully remove. I don't care what anyone says. It's just physically not possible to be done without huge social and political fallout. The damage caused from such an effort is most likely larger than the problem it aims to solve. But then what can we do? Solutions. Need to win over the incoming populace, educate and inform. The premise for the importing Democratic Party is that all the illegal immigrants will vote blue. What if we convince them to vote red? Close that gap. If the potential votes of illegal immigrants were red instead of blue, it would not only solve the electoral manipulation problem, but the establishment would be forced to shut down the border immediately to prevent additional red votes. Even if the border was shut down today, we have an issue of 22 million new people we need to deal with. Yes, close the border, we're full, great. But we also need to start thinking of actual real solutions for the people that are already here. If it's about putting Democrats in power forever, the most obvious solution, split the migrant vote. The purpose of the establishment-run invasion at the southern...
<laughs> That's it. Yeah, I think it's. I think there's something also. I mean, that that was a really nice framework that he shared. One of the things I think is really interesting that's happening too is this problem is becoming, it's coming to the footsteps of Americans in a way that maybe it hasn't in the past. And it's why we're seeing all the virality of it. Um, I had a, I had somebody like a couple of months ago when I talked about this issue, tell me like, Ashish, why do you care about this problem? Like, why is the border such an important thing? And ironically, we were sitting in his $4 million house in a gated community. And like, now I was thinking about like, why was he, why was he showing up in a way that's like, she's like, well, this is not a problem that you should care about. You know, you have a, you have a business manufacturing business. This is good for you. You can hire cheap labor. And my answer today would be like, well, what if, what if your gated community just let anyone in and shut the gate down? You know, would the value of your home be devalued? Would the safety of your kids playing on the in the neighborhood be uh, something concerning to you? If people just uh, were walking around, I mean, I should say, hey, wouldn't it be easier to get support or help in your home if the borders were open? But no. So I think it's funny that the people that vote for these types of things or potentially support these things are protected in their 60 story high rises or in their gated communities, but it's actually coming to their doorstep, right. And in, in all these major cities. So just a fascinating dynamic. And, and I, I just, uh, yeah, I can't understand the logic of this and, and we really got to make this happen quickly and efficiently because it doesn't look like it's getting any better. And it looks like this problem is completely being politicized, right? Aaron, why don't you bring us home and let's go to the next topic. The yeah, I don't think I have anything to add um, on on the end of that before we jump over to the to the next one. The it just really in, the the idea of it in perpetuity was the big deal. The idea of the it it could become something where then it stays uh, like that forever. The, um, that guy he's saying, hey, the solution is get uh, illegal immigrants to go uh, to like switch over. Impossible. Little story though about legal immigration, right? Gallup works for me. The, you know, comes to the U.S. when she's one, grows up in the U.S., elementary school, high school, been working for me for years, right? Just now, at 27 years old, she now has a green card and a passport where she can leave the country and go back to Mexico where she was born to go visit family. So it took her 27 years of working and paying taxes and living in a legalized system before she could become a, you know, a legal person here. And the 27 years. Right. And now they're talking about just making that legal and easy uh, when it's happening. Um, so that's uh, it's a very big change. Like so anyway, the solution is uh, legal immigration becoming quicker, like a quicker, realistic process, um, you know, maybe similar to being what it takes to get TSA pre uh, when you're going to fly somewhere. Yeah. My, my final thought real Ooh. quick on it, Ash, is and the fact that you brought up the yeah. TSA pre thing is is crazy. Right. Because I. I thought that was wild. You know how what we as citizens have to go through in order to pass through TSA. And yet in the pre-TSA line, migrants don't have to have an ID to get through security. And it's their choice whether they want to have a picture taken or not. So we have no idea who we're flying with. Yet us as citizens have to go through all of these things, right? That's just one example. So I'm not here to say everything is wrong and they're trying to destroy America. But I am here to say that having healthy levels of paranoia get you to asking better questions and doing more research and not taking things at face value. And over the course of the last few years, I've had this weird sense of 
paranoia, not in a place that is paralyzing or that makes me so negative and a victim and angry, but more so empowered to be more aware and to ask better questions and have more intentional conversations that allow us to like have these debates and discussions, not to be right, but just to have more dialogue around really important topics that are impacting not just us on this call, not just the people that are listening, but our entire country, which I think a lot of people are waking up to. Let's let's take a 90 yeah. degree angle to something a little lighter. Besides the border, probably the second most Googled word right now is Musk in the universe. Uh, Elon Musk is up to some fun things this week, and he's definitely um, had some headlines. The first thing that happened this week with Elon was that the, the first Neuralink was implanted in a human brain, which I thought was super fascinating. Um, Neuralink is, uh, by now, I think it's valued at about $3.5 billion. The company was started by Elon Musk in 2016. It's a highly invasive uh, procedure that places a small little chip uh, in the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex of the human brain. I think they've done a lot of testing on this, but they're working on uh, using this for neurological diseases and, and different types of uh, issues and just super fascinating. The fact that we can actually implant chips in human brains, um, such a cool technological advance. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or comments on it. Just thought it'd be something that is uh, uh, hopefully a sign that there's so much progress in the future. It's sort of our matrix moment where we can just download things straight to our brain. I always felt like that's part of our future. And um, as of today, you know, this, this, Whoever this volunteer was uh, is uh, successfully has a, a chip planted into their brain. So just super cool, um, just from a fun, fun news situation. And then I think the big news that's on his docket is that uh, his stock got revoked. Over $50 billion of his stock got revoked by a judge, not by shareholders, not by employees, not by the board, but by, the, by a judge. So, Aaron, I don't know if you you want to share a little bit about what this article is about and what's really going on here. But what I'd like to go around and talk about is how does this happen that a judge can decide um, whether it's for Elon or any other company in terms of how does how does this get to a place where entrepreneurs, business owners can take more control about their entity structures? I think this is in Delaware, if I'm not mistaken. So does mm -hmm. it matter what state? I think there was a conversation on Twitter about this or X about what state should I incorporate in so this doesn't happen to me. So let's let's also talk about why it's relevant to the average day business owner um, who doesn't have $50 billion to lose. Mooch, go yeah, ahead. I'll pull it back up in just a second, the article. But the to start with that Neuralink thing, um, Musk is brilliant. He's brilliant. He's excited. I cannot wait to tap or neural link into my brain. You guys know that I was the first to get like Me. Google Glass, all the things like I'm Me like, too. I, I love having my car drive itself. People are like, that freaks me out. Like, no, I, I push it to its limits. And I love that stuff. The other part that was brilliant, that was probably just an only Musk thing that could do, right? The first thought of like, well, who are they going to start this with? How are they going to actually start human trials? Who wants to volunteer for that? It's fascinating that people that are volunteering first are people that uh, essentially can't move, you know, quadriplegics. Like the, and also that was like, oh yeah, like people that are trapped inside their body that are alive and have no ability 
to move, like they barely have the ability to actually opt in to say like, okay, I'll be the volunteer realistically. But some of the things he talked about was like, what if Stephen Hawking could actually share thoughts at the speed he feels them, right? Like how would that change the world? So brilliant in the way they decided to launch. Cause there's guys like us that are like, Hey, I want to be able to do that to download how to do karate in a second and be Keanu Reeves and matrix. Yes. But then starting that way and saying like, no, first it's going to actually help people like maybe start getting limbs to move again because there's a spot in the brain where the brain can't talk to the legs anymore because of something, but maybe they can do it. Fascinating, brilliant guy. If anybody can do it, it's Musk. Um, and I, but I think it also relates to this other article, right? And so, um, you know, it says Musk's $55 billion pay package voided, threatening the world's biggest fortune. And so it, it, I think it started with a, with a shareholder lawsuit. So shareholder challenged that it's, it was an excessive pay, the $55 billion pay package. So it started with a shareholder filing a lawsuit. Delaware judge then says yes, which would take a $55 billion out of his net worth. He would now be the third richest person alive because his assets would drop to $154 billion. You know, the sad thing about that is they say no one's, no one's going to feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. I think he's brilliant. And I think that he's going to change the world with however many billions he has. And I would trust him more than I would trust a lot of the politicians that they get to keep track of our money, but he had been, uh, you know, he had been number one world's richest. Now to move him down to third, the uh, site with an investor who complained Tesla directors didn't make proper disclosures about his package and found that con conflicts of interest marred the board's consideration of the pay plan. In the final analysis, Musk launched a self-driving process. So it goes through all these things. But I think the interesting part about the article is one, they said now they have to go back and renegotiate um, his pay. He also has less stock right now because he sold so much stock to buy Twitter. You know, but this is really why, like two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, Musk said, hey, you know what? If I'm going to keep growing Tesla, I need more shares. Otherwise, I'm going to take my robot idea and instead of doing it at Tesla, I'm going to go start a robot company, right? Or, hey, I'm changing self-driving. Why would I do this here? Why would I take all these ideas in Tesla? Like he's the guy building Neuralink. He's the guy, you know, it was SpaceX. He's the guy with the others. So he's kind of threatening them and saying, hey, like I've got the Tesla robot that is going to change the world. But if you guys don't increase my comp, I'm leaving and I'm going to go launch Musk robot instead. And because I'm using all this brain power for that. But this was the cause of it. When people are like, why is he doing that? Why is he actually pushing for more? Uh, it's because he knew that this was going to happen. He's going to be losing so much stock. So I think it, it puts a little bit of perspective of, you know, the conversations from a few weeks ago, I was surprised to read this and then it made a lot more sense of like, he wasn't really being greedy, right? In the same sense, I don't believe that the robot should be part of Tesla, you know, driving. I, I think that companies should stay separate. I don't think you should use, um, now I do the same thing. I've got a whole bunch of companies and they help each other and they prop up, but they're pretty well related. But flying to space and Neuralink and robots is different than a self-driving car for very different uh, business stuff. So I hope they... Fix it. I mean, I know that most of the world would vote with this judge and say no human should be able to get a $55 billion bonus. Most people are going to say that. Why would he need it? I disagree. I think he's a world changer. Um, and I trust him more with the money than anybody else. But I think the suit's going to hold up uh, when it goes to that. So I think they're going to have to change his pay package. Uh, but he'll be able to do it. It looks like from the lawsuit too. They can pay him whatever they want. As long as they disclose it and they give enough notice for shareholders to react. As a result of this announcement, shares went down 
a little bit, but yeah, he sold stock to buy TikTok or to buy Twitter. So he didn't have as much, you know, stock uh, anymore. He knew this was coming, and now he's saying, "Hey, I'm about to change the world and triple and quadruple yeah. up the stock again." So, yeah, but Mooch. To be clear, to be clear, this is in the form of stock, not cash. Because it's I think the, people see his net worth and be like, "Oh, he's got this is a fifty million dollar check." It's not it's, that. It's, it's actually in a stock form option. of options or stock. Right. It's even. It, it's not even stock. It's an option to execute an, the option. So, yeah, just to be clear to people that where his wealth is and what it really represents. Really good point. Yeah, I said Musk never attempted to exercise his options since they'd been challenged in Delaware chancery court that's like us like when we put values on companies we own going hey if i sell this company i could probably sell it for like 15 or 20 million even though i don't have an offer for that they're saying like hey if he if he went and exercised those stocks he could buy them for 50 dollars a share today and he could sell them for 100 dollars right after so it added to his net worth because he had the ability to do it but part of why he never exercised it was he knew he thought this was coming so yeah but you're, you're totally right it's not cash in the bank but it is the right. but it is net worth you know, and Ash, back to your, I'll make this quick, but back to your initial question, like, you know, how does this affect everyday business owners? It doesn't because the difference is the moment that we decide to go public, we're, we're in a different realm and, you know, you're held to different standards. And like Aaron was saying about reporting the shareholders, the board, um, once you go public, you're in a whole different realm. So this actually doesn't affect, you know, everyday business owners like, like us. It's not like a judge can come in and say, Mike, you shouldn't pay yourself that much money right? unless, you know, we're, we're under some doing something wrong or, or whatever, but this really doesn't affect everyday Americans. And this is the thing that people don't understand. I love the point that you just brought up and Aaron pointed out, like people don't understand the, the point that you brought up. Like this isn't cash. They're not taking cash away from Elon Musk. It's, it's stock, it's options. And again, my, my point was the minute you decide to take your company public, you're in a whole different realm of responsibilities, reporting issues, and control from your board at the end of the day. So I'm not saying he's wrong in any of it. I, I'm a fan. I, I believe in him. I agree with everything Aaron said. But this really doesn't affect everyday business owners having a judge come in and say you can't make $700,000 a year. Well, let's, let's talk about something that does affect business owners. We've <laughs> talked about it on the podcast before. Um, we have our own perspective on this and we've been able to navigate this successfully. So I, I do want to talk about this. I've had more conversations about this in the last two or three weeks than I'm proud to talk about or, or admit, <sighs> but DEI, the woke nature of employees taking over organizations um, is becoming a huge problem. And I want to I want to go around and, and talk about this. There's a lot of different aspects to this that we have in the chat right now, so we, we can go wherever we need to go. But I want to preface this by saying that when a company is controlled by its employees, it's really hard to control the direction of the business. Number one, number two, I think why DEI is so interesting. If you don't know what DEI is, by the way, it's diversity, exclusion, and inclusion. What is it? Diversity, diversity, diversity equity, and inclusion. I found the article too. The diversity, equity, and inclusion. The second reason why this is very in, important for business owners to be uh, in tune with is that I think that there's like this huge hypocrisy that the DEI community is forcing companies to be more inclusive, have diversity. If I can't hire or fire based on these diversity metrics, 
then why am I forced to have them in the first place? Like, for example, if I can't hire or fire Mike because he's Mexican, then or or a minority or Indian or Indian. Well, by definition, yeah. 90, 95 percent of all my employees are Indian. Mike, Mike, what are you? <laughs> I'm Indian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but why do I have to, why am I measured on the diversity of my employment base or, uh, the amount of women that are in my board or whatever? Now, uh, we're not, we're not saying the diversity is not important. We're just saying that if we're being judged to hire and fire on merit and not on race, gender, sexual class, orientation, blah, blah, blah. Then why does that why is that important to have that be the makeup of our organizations, our boards, et cetera? It is it is a double standard. It's, it it makes no sense. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, so it really it you can't have both of them at the same exact time. Uh, I think it. So I'd love to to hear what you guys are thinking about this. Um, you know, you have some very large global companies, basically the employees have a chokehold on these organizations, Disney being the most specific, but so many organizations are struggling with this issue from the inside out. And, uh, we have been successful. I would say thus far, knock on wood to be able to navigate this in a healthy, productive way. I love to share my thoughts once we go around the table, but this is an important topic that I think leaders have to own and can't just let this happen and let this be. Um, cause it will, it will take control from the inside out. So uh, let's go to Mikey first and then we'll go around. Um, I can make mine short. You said everything that I really believe about this at the end of the day, like you, it's, it's merit-based. And at the end of the day, like the government requires us to not um, profile, we can't discriminate based on age, religion, race, um, sex, yet we're saying, we have to, we have to hire based on these things. And it's just, anyway, you already said it, but that's my thing at the end of the day, like, which is it? And we shouldn't discriminate. We should 100% hire based on merit and who's qualified for the job. I don't want to be in a plane with somebody just because they're a female or, that's or right. black. That, that was or the next one. I think it's airplanes. Um, right? They're hiring pi pilots based on this. Yeah. So I, I just, you, you said it. I, that's enough for me, but I'm how are just, you communicating this, Mike, in your organization, if at all? I'm not. I'm not Why? gonna you know, when I owned my plumbing and heating company, you know how many times an employee would come to me and say, Hey, I met the union rep, they want to unionize, and I would just flat out say, If you guys start to unionize, I will shut this business down and I will start over. I'm not even having this conversation because the reality is, from a legal perspective, I'm not worried about getting um you know, canceled as a business owner, I don't need to talk about it. And the yeah. reality is when we go out to hire somebody, this is what's wrong with this whole ideology. When we go out to hire somebody, I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're old. I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you're a girl. I don't care if you're a woman that has a penis. Like I actually don't care. And we're not even allowed to ask this stuff. Yet yeah, which is, yes, you can't even talk about it. You no. can't even ask. So how are you supposed to add them if you don't know? It's just funny. Yeah. So I'm not even talking about it. I, I'm, not, I'm not buying into it. I'm not playing the game. Hire people based on merit. Here's the job description. I don't care what, I don't care if you're green. 
I, it doesn't matter to me. Like, so we're not even talking about it. Except here. Mooch. Mooch. You know, like, so the advice for a normal business owner, right? It's one of the reasons we don't, you don't go public because then, you know, you don't, you're, you know, you're not gonna have the choice anymore. But here's the advice as business owners, what it forces everyone to do is it enforces every boss. I remember being a business owner in California, I got this instilled in me. You have to like, just keep track of stuff in your business. When people do great, you have to write it down. When people do bad, you have to write it down. When people get warnings, you have to write it down. If people skip work, if people come late, like you need to have this chart. And I have a giant chart that shows who did their start of day e emails, who did their end of day emails, what time they got to the office, what, what days they did sick, what time they left, right? Because what happens is you have to make sure Mm -hmm. to cover your ass when you do terminate somebody that you have a clear, clear method and list of I terminated them because of this. Because there used to be all sorts of other reasons that people would sue and now it could be for something that you don't even know. So in one sense, um, that, like how does a normal business person own it? I think you do what Mike says is you don't ask anything like that, but you also just keep track of people because mind you, when you do, also it's the same with housing, right? So we're super careful when we're like doing applications on rents, right? Because someone could all, and we have to do every, we can't make an exception for anybody, right? If somebody makes a dollar less than income, we can't make an exception because if you make an exception for like when you put someone in a house or when you evict them, and then you find out later they're in a class that maybe is a protected class now or will be a protected class in the future. Um, you know, I wonder though, in 50 years, like desegregation was not that long ago, actually right? Like desegregation in the U.S. is not that long ago. And when I talk to younger people, like my kids' ages, right? Like they are, it seems like it's a really easy solution for them. It's a really easy thing. It all makes a lot of sense. Like, and, and it's the same battle of, you know, of black and white from many years ago. So I wonder in 30 or 40 years, if we're going to look back and go, why was this so hard for everybody to come down to, or if we're still going to be there, who knows when that what do you mean? goes, Mooch, I mean, I like, what do you mean? What, what is easier? What do you mean? So meaning in 10 or 15 years, are we going to look back and go, Oh, it actually makes a lot of sense. Now I get why that should have been a protected class. Like we have a lot more, I get why it should have been a thing. I get why we should have cared. I get why we should have given some extra attention to that or, or because I know that 50 or 60 years ago before desegregation, right? Like the, it was a very, it wasn't, it wasn't that simple. And now it is that simple. You ask us today, like the, are, you know, are Indians, blacks, Mexicans, Hawaii, is everybody the same? Absolutely. hundred percent. Do I look at that at all with hiring? I don't look at it at all with hiring. Right. And the, but it's easy for me to say, because when I was born, Tim, can you pull up that article really quick? The, um, and I think it, this is a little bit side off of like requiring people to hire and fire, but it's the, it's the beach one that I just sent. This came on our chat a week oh, ago. Yeah. And we are like pushing the borders on some extra topics right now because I think it's important. And it's got, it says, Rip Curl removes post celebrating trans surfer after boycott and pushback from US athletes, right? This has been, this sort of stuff has been happening in the news so much with Disney and their characters or like whether it was at Bud Light or, um, you know, these different businesses that are doing a big push of celebrating um, that. Whether it's right or wrong or who you are, my biggest opinion is that businesses should stay out of the workplace. What did they, um, 
expect right or wrong if you're running a business you have to know that by pushing a campaign like this you're going to get pushed back by ev like every other company that ran a campaign like this and it's going to hurt your bottom line like businesses are being irresponsible financially to their shareholders or their owners when they push when they push um these sorts of uh, images out whether it's morally right or wrong that's a different thing that in 50 that my kids will tell me i'm wrong and in 50 years who knows what i'm going to say on it from a business stance, I know that any company that does a very deliberate, loud, transgender type push, they are going to lose customers because of it. They're not going to gain customers because of it. So what I put in the chat when this came up is why would they do it? Why would well, any business owner do something that they know is going to cost them money and cost them business? Uh, it's well, better to stay unopinionated. I mean, Mooch, rhetorical question, where do you think this is coming from? Do you think this is coming from its customers? Do you think it's coming from his employees? Or do you think it's coming from the boardroom? Coming from their deep I think that hiring. Well, so so maybe in Disney, and that's maybe how it's related. I think part of what happened in Disney is there were some people that were very high up that had very personal experiences with this that made it really important. Now, if my kid said, hey, dad, I really need you to do this for me. Would I push a boundary that might cost me business? Maybe, right? Like, I hope not, but maybe. Like, so it could be from that. But I don't think it's really happening in the boardroom. I think what happens is there's somebody in control at different things that pushes the stuff out that goes like, because I don't double check every marketing campaign that gets pushed out in my company. Um, man, and I can't imagine being as big as a Rip Curl or a Disney or something else. So I, I think it comes from a few small people and maybe you know, people have to do extra protection inside their, their company. So you can stop sharing that, uh, I think. But that was pretty passionate about it. It's just something that like, I think that businesses should be staying out of it. But yeah, Maddie could be right. Because of, the, because of like the way people are hiring, maybe that's how. I think it's either people at the top with a very strong emotional connection. The like, same people that fought for segregation in the past and would have lost business because of it. That was a thing. Right, like the first people that were brave, it was a thing, and so um, I'm trying to hedge this a little bit to go. We might be wrong in 20 years when we look back, but it's a, but I think it's bad for business to be involved in it. We're 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 only wrong if we allow it. Um, and I'll make this quick, but I have a friend who got sued by a green person, um, and and this friend has no issues with green persons whatsoever, like never has. And then got sued by a second green person. And then this is the problem with this whole situation and issue. When, I mean, even back to what you said, Aaron, I agree with documentation and everything. And this, this green person had plenty of opportunity to perform and change their ways and do everything. And when this green person got fired in a, in a certain, I mean, they happened to live in a certain uh, blue state, this, this friend of mine got sued. And you know what this friend's attorney said? Pay you're, it. It, pay it, settle it out. And then it, immediately on the heels of that, a second green person files another suit just because they saw what happened. And guess what has to happen there? They have to get paid out. And there's such an unintended consequence around all of this that I think people need to be aware of. I agree with everything that you said about, you know, even segregation and, and the wrongs that were done with, you know, certain ethnicities, whether it's Indian, black, I don't care. I'm, I'm not, there's, there's no racist bone in my body. But the one thing that I will say is when green people start causing problems, 
for everyday business owners, it creates this unintended consequence that people need to understand because it causes you to start really thinking. It causes a person that would have never thought twice about whether it's trans, whether it's female, whether it's black, green, old, young, it causes people that were never concerned about that at all to start thinking in the back of their mind. They're not going to say it out loud, but my friend is never going to hire a green person. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I, that, that's not, but that's what, that's the yeah. unintended consequence. And so I think people need to, they're, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to think logically about this, but this is the problem with it. You create your own um, unintended consequences. It's like, you know, what they, what they begin to think about and medita meditate on becomes their reality. And if you want to know the fastest way to the bottom, you know, issues like that starting to come up, that's the fastest way to the bottom. And so I'll, I'll rest my argument, but this is a no-win scenario for anybody that thinks that because they're, you know, um, I guess they have some kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They have some kind of thing that, um, they have something that's like keeping them from, you know, coming to the top. It's, it's the thing that's going to actually cause your demise at the end of the day, whether it's a single individual or it's a race or it's a religion or whatever it is, this is bad. This is bad all the way around. Maddie, bring us home. I'll keep it short. I mean, ra racial and gender quotas is such a dangerous and slippery slope. I mean, if that, and it only applies when it fits the narrative, right? Because if that's the ca case, then I want to see more white and Indian and, you know, Hispanic people playing in the NBA and the NFL. Well, they made those we, we're 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 the best we, we're the best nba players you guys leave us out of the tryouts <laughs> we have the longest calf muscle of all species the indians we should be playing more basketball See? that's what it is dei right there that that makes sense to me but that i mean at the end of the day right i think this is just another example of a policy a program that is parasitic that wants to feed off of the emotions of people without there being true logic and merit behind a lot of what plays out from these programs. And, you know, if the NBA was full of, you know, racial and gender equality versus who are the best of the best in the world because they have earned the right to be in that spot, then we're disincentivizing the entire ecosystem of what competitiveness and, you know, the merit of true skill building and real, you know, talent looks like across any role in society as a whole. So when you go and you dumb it down and dilute it to we have to meet a quota versus we have to select based on who is the best fit for us achieving the outcome we desire. So dangerous. It's bullshit. I think it's terrible. And it's just another example of a policy that is pushed by a woke and liberal agenda that makes me go exactly like what you're saying. I didn't really think about these things, but who's pushing it? Why are they pushing it? And how is it actually playing out? And it makes me feel a certain type of way around a particular group of people who are forcing this kind of stuff down my throat in a way that is unproductive to, in what I believe, the macro of American society. For the record, Matt did not keep it short.
even though he said he was going to. I, I, I comment, I, comment I on this me, article, Maddie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I said I was going to be short too, and I wasn't. Oops. Maddie, right, comment. We'll, we'll keep this short. We're podcast hosts. We we'll short. Yeah, nearly 30%. Podcast hosts. We only talk for 30 seconds. That turns into 30 minutes. So Gen Z adults means people that are 18 to 27, right? So I, I, I just did a Google. What's Gen Z? People born between 1997 and 2012. So that means, so the Gen Z adults would be of everyone, of everyone between the ages of 18 and 27 today. Here's the number. Um, my first quick reaction, and it just says like the highlight was the gayest generation in history. But my first quick reaction is I don't believe this number to be accurate. Uh, I, I think it just seems very, very hard to believe. I think that it's much higher than it was when I was 27 or when I was 18. But one in three uh, from all the people that I know doesn't make sense at all. Um, I don't know if it's going to skewed maybe more to the 18, 19, 20 age group because I hang out with a lot of people in their mid 20s. Um, and the so anyway, my first reaction is no way can this number uh, be true. It's wild to see it as such a headline. And so I guess it's one of those things too of look at the articles, fact check it, and or, but also maybe the famous Mikey Alla quote. When it comes to this headline, when I see it, I don't believe it. And as far as right now, doesn't really matter. Yep. All right. Well, let's pivot. Um, I, and I got to say, I'm super proud of myself in the transitions today. We're going to go from green people, Mike Ayala, <laughs> to orange people. Let's talk about Trump for a minute. Ooh, you like that? You like that transition, don't you? I've been oh, I've been good. practicing. Yeah, that was slick. Uh, you were ready. You did your homework today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've been working on it. So let's talk about Trump. You know, clearly, uh, we talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's he's crushed it in uh, Iowa. Looks like he took New Hampshire. Uh, I I don't know when South Carolina is is happening. I think it's in the next couple of weeks. But Haley's not backing down on that. There was an article in Bloomberg. I don't know if, uh, Tim, you want to pull this up, that half the voters, or maybe Aaron, you need to pull this up, but half the owners won't vote for Trump if he's committed a crime. And I think uh, what's also interesting is that you know there was a big thing about Trump's returns. I don't really think this is interesting or important, but it's just fascinating what ended up happening with this, that people made such a stink about Trump not sharing his tax returns, which you know, is a private thing if people want to share it or not, whatever. But the person that somehow leaked his tax returns got five years in jail just speaks to um, sort of the system right now and, and what's really going on and what the truth is. But um, what do you feel about that? Do you think that that's accurate, that half of the voters won't vote for Trump if he really commits a crime? I don't feel like that's true. In fact, I feel like if he if he gets thrown in jail for whatever crime that they say he commits, I think he almost guarantees himself presidency. And if anyone can get elected from prison, it's Donald Trump. And let's right. also agree that it's not going to be a uh, concrete jail that that guy lives in. It's going to be a big mansion or, or something that uh, he has house arrest in. So if anyone can get elected from prison, whatever form of prison that is, it is Donald Trump. Um, so what are your thoughts, Mooch? So funny. I'll switch between the two articles really quick. I just wanted to pull up the ex-IRS contractor part before we jump into the other one of people saying 
um, you know, would they be able to elect him or not? So yes, the guy that leaks, leaks Trump's tax records gets five years in prison. I repost that on my social and I get a lot of people that say, and there isn't much of the article other than that. He leaked a bunch of people's tax returns, but there's just so much funny stuff about that. Cause then I had several people that told me, well, Trump doesn't follow the law either. He's obviously, you know, the same, the same sort of guy. And my comment back was if Trump was guilty or if, if he could be, let's say if he could be found guilty of what you guys are saying, he would be in jail already because he has the biggest target on his back from anybody. And I think it speaks volumes that the guy that leaks his tax records is guilty, is going to prison five years. That's a big, that's a big federal crime. You can rob a bank and do less time. The um, Remind me before we're off to show you guys some of these pictures I had to pull up uh, today. But you can rob a bank and do less crime than that. So the, it's a big deal that they're saying, no, by sharing his tax returns, you're going to prison for five years in the federal system. Here's the article, though, where it says Trump risks losing more than half of the swing states if found guilty of a crime, right? And there was this chart that, that this is the part that I wanted to show you guys. And it's like kind of like to so the most important part of the top is just the registered voters. But look at how close this is. It's barely over 50 percent. So it says of the registered voters, and it's obviously like, so Republicans don't care. Republican men don't care. Republican women really don't care. People that voted for Trump before don't care, right? If he gets committed by of a crime, nobody cares. I think mostly my quick opinion on this, just, just shooting out my ass is because most people think he's probably not guilty and he's getting railroaded. Like for the people that like have been Trump fans, whether it's true or not, that's going to be quickest reaction. Okay. Had a target on his back. He shouldn't have been targeted, whatever. All right. I think that I'm going to, I'm just going to speak for people in that way and go. So I think that's why those numbers are so far down. But then when it comes to, of all registered voters, you know, Republican or not, that the, it is just barely over 50% say that they won't do that. Right. Like the, so very unwilling is like 43% of registered voters said they'd be very unwilling to vote for Trump if he got convicted of a crime. And then another like 8% say somewhat unwilling. And then, so, but I think it's like 53%. So I actually don't think it's that big of news or maybe it is, but it was like, I don't know. I was kind of surprised that it was that like when you're considering uh, everybody else too, uh, that it's not actually that big of a deal. I don't know how you guys feel about either one of those things, but I thought it was important to, to see that, Hey, they're asking the question. And even though it's half his base, it's barely half his base, which I think is actually good news for him. And probably lines up with, you know, what Ash said of if anybody could get elected while in prison or going to prison. I mean, man, he's got the nomination for sure. He's, he's going to close it. Oh. Mikey, any thoughts? I was just thinking as Aaron was saying that I was just thinking back to the constitution and um, I, I don't mean to be black and white, but you know, would I vote for him if he got convicted of a crime? I depends on what the crime is and, and, and what actually happened. But you know, if, totally. if our constitution allows somebody to run after a certain thing or doesn't, um, I don't know. It's just, that's just what I was thinking about is like, I mean, if he's allowed to run, that this isn't taking my personal opinion of him or, you know, would I vote for him into, into play. But I mean, if, if he committed a crime and he's convicted of it, but it's not severe enough, I don't know, even what happened. I'm just kind of like, by the way, as a side note, I don't mean to circle back to this, but I just want to say it, all this stuff that's going on at the border, 
I, I just wonder sometimes too, if it's just Biden trying to get Republicans riled up so that we can have another capital thing and just go off the rocker. And that's, I mean, back to voting for Trump, it's like, we're just in such a volatile time. I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to convict him is because there's so much just controversy and what actually happened. And is this a real crime? And I don't even know if I think he's going to get convicted of anything. So I don't know if I care. Fascinating. All right. Well, I want to, I want to talk about this. Another great pivot from Ashish Nathu. Everything is about leadership. So what are we seeing in companies today? The companies, I'm going to pull up this wall street article. Uh, let's see, Tim, the, if you guys can see this here, companies calling workers back to the office five days a week. Thank God. Uh, some of the biggest companies in the world are having huge layoffs. Um, the last couple of weeks, I can't even keep up, man. I feel like every time I open up the Wall Street Journal, there's another company that's laying off 5,000, 7,000, 10%, 20% of employees. Um, in this article, they talk about UPS. They talk about Boeing. They talk about JP Morgan. Um, UPS just laid off a huge amount of employees. Boeing, if you guys have seen in the news, is is really in trouble and their stock is just plummeting right now. Um, and a lot of tech startups, right? We listen. We all listen to the All In podcast too. There's a lot of tech startups that are not meeting quarterly results, and then just boom, next day they're having twenty percent layoffs, etc. So um, I've been really struggling in hiring a certain department within my organization that has like 1%, 1.5% unemployment. And you can't get people to respect the offer letter that they approved. You can't get people to keep coming back to work. A lot of people. So it's just a really fascinating time right now. Um, I feel like leaders are going, I mean, in this article, they mentioned how it's really not fair if you're a manufacturing business. I think Elon talked about this too, that why is it that manu the manufacturing facility, those people have to show up five days a week, but the marketing department can work two days a week. So there is some inequity in terms of responsibility in that. Um, there's some departments that are just going full remote. Like, I don't know if you guys feel that is my accountants. I can't get them to want to work five days a week at all. So there's some departments that are just kind of transitioning to that. We've talked about the global workforce here, but I think uh, I'm in the perspective that I'm trying to get back and do everything into my power to get people back in the office, one direction, one voice, uh, one mission, um, one vision, uh, we got to get back to sort of working as one team and using the same sort of energy to execute our goals. And, um, so want to hear what you guys are doing as before we wrap up, this is my final topic, but you know, having the unemployment rate increase wouldn't be the worst thing. Mikey, you should start. Cause I know that you, you run your business several different ways with this. Right. And I think you're probably yeah. split on the opinion. I, I am very split on the opinion. And I just want to, you know, Ash, you talked about you can't get your accounting team to work five days a week. I don't, maybe just a point of clarity that you can't get them to come into the office five days. Yeah, a week, that's what right? I meant. Okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. And, and I wanted to, you know, just kind of jump on that because one of the challenges with, with virtual and, and part of, you know, 70% of my team has been virtual all along. And because we have properties in 13 different states and, you know, I can't, I can't force them to come into the office. And when COVID hit, my corporate team was in an office. And the crazy thing was we made a transition. I'll never forget this. I don't think I've ever brought it up with you guys, but I was going to Hawaii. Um, it was like March 7th 
and I had an all teams meeting, all like all hands with my corporate team. And I've got a picture of this. I drew a little COVID cell on the whiteboard and I was telling my team, I said, Hey, listen, I was kind of ahead of this because I listened to a guy um, named Chris Martinson. And anyway, to make a long story short, um, I knew this was coming. And I told my team before I left, I said, we need to put protocol in place to get the corporate team completely virtual, make sure we get laptops for everybody. And they're looking at me cross-eyed, but we laugh about this because it happened while I was in Hawaii but they were ready for it. And after the fact, like if I told my team right now that they had to come back to the office, they would hang me. And I'm a small enough company that there, there's two points that I want to make with this. I'm a small enough company that I don't feel that I need to. And my accounting team works. They're working weekends. Teams is blowing up. Slack's blowing up. So as long as you can measure productivity in some way, which is one of the things that I want to, I'm really trying to pay attention to that. How do I, in the future, measure productivity in a better way? I think it's forcing us as business owners to measure productivity in a way that isn't, how long are you at the office? Because there's a lot of lost time at offices too, where people are just screwing around and are not any more productive than somebody that's virtual. But I'm really thinking about how do I measure productivity? So that's a sidebar for another day. Um, but I want, I'm trying to hire a specific individual right now. And I really want to hire this person. And she's a perfect fit for the job. And one of the things that she told me during the interview, she, she used to work in an office in Phoenix. She had a baby a year ago. And she said, I miss being with people. And so she was asking me about, cause she's in Austin and she's like, what's the office situation look like? And I'm like, we don't have one. Um, I'm the only person that lives in Austin that's on my team. And I'm like, you can come work in my office. There's an extra desk over there. But she's interviewing with a different company. And even though I think she's a perfect fit, and I think we're a perfect fit for her, she wants to be back in the office. And they're supposed to let her know today. And I'm obviously her second choice because she keeps telling me, I, I want to go through this interview. I'm waiting to hear from them. And there's a part of me that's like, it just brings it back to the core culture of this. Top producing employees, we need to be together. We need the synergy. We need the consistency. People like her are looking for that. And so, Aaron, you nailed it. I'm, I have a duality around this because I love my freedom. If I want to move from Austin, I want to be able to move from Austin. So I don't really want to build a team here because I did that in Phoenix and that's where my team's mostly at. And then I moved. So I really struggle with this, but I agree at the end of the day, I think in-person is much more important and powerful. And the last thing I'll say, what would it be like if I didn't see my wife on a consistent basis? Or what would it be like if I didn't see my friends on a consistent basis? It was basis? virtual. If your marriage it, was virtual. It'd be impossible to have a solid relationship. And so as much as I go back and forth on all of this, I think in person, if you want the best run companies, they're going to be in person. Any final comments? I got a couple of things. I'll jump in. The, I mean, that's why the GoBundance, you know, winter mastermind, the, the in-person stuff versus Zoom. I'm always telling people we're, we've all, we're all not there today, which is breaking my heart. My first time since 2015 uh, to not be at one. But why I tell everybody like, no, you can join the masterminds. You can do the Zooms, but you got to get in person to feel the energy. I want to jump uh, way back to like the second comment on the show before I jump into my final thoughts on this. Two things I wanted to share on predictions when we were talking about like markets and things like that I didn't get to get into. 
So I have a medium term rental in Fayetteville, Arkansas that has been not, I just had the statistics on it. I just had somebody move out of it yesterday. For the last 12 months, we had 95% occupancy averaging $112 a day there, right? So in a 12 month period, it wasn't occupied for eight days, right? As a midterm rental. I have no bookings right now in the next 12 months, mm. right? So I've just had an amazing, amazing stats, not a single booking and I'm priced below every hotel there in town. And it's still right next to the hospital uh, that my daughter was at, right? So the, so that's a baffling, so I'm putting it on the market for sale. I'm like, hey, time to sell it, right? I've been, but again, 95% occupancy, like not very many days, it was empty. And to go from that solid to no bookings at all, shocking. Um, so I think that that's changing the market. I also have a guy that has a, an Airbnb in Austin. He bought this property for $3.7 million two years ago. He is trying to sell it to me right now, subject to where I would be taking over a three and a half percent loan at 2.3 million and giving him 200,000 on top of it. So he's trying to sell me his property for 2.5 million. He bought it for 3.7, 18 months ago as an Airbnb, but they don't have the bookings to support it anymore, even at a three and a half percent loan, which is the equivalent, right? Buying a, a property for two and a half million dollars at a 3.5% loan is like buying a property for a million bucks today. So like the, so anyway, depends on the market, depends on stuff, two shocking statistics for medium term rentals and short term rentals that I was involved in this week. That I thought were wild. You know, the Mikey, we were predicting COVID together. I was in Hawaii at the same time. I closed my office. We ended our month to month lease. I had everything in storage. My workers thought I was crazy. And then on that Saturday, they sent me pictures of the store shelves being empty. And they thought that I was Nostradamus and that I could predict stuff because I put us doing remote before that. Um, the biggest battle I make on a day-to-day -day basis with anyone that works for me that is sub 30 is why do we have to come to the office every day? Why can't we be remote? <laughs> it's, it's, it brings me more stress than anything else. First question on hiring, first thing people are asking, no matter what, I have a very, very clear policy and it's always spelled out. It's always a battle on a weekly basis. Everybody keeps fighting me on it. I loved remote, you know, October, 2020. Thought it was brilliant. And I think I shared you guys a story. I started, my guy that was leading my company, running my company, had 15 people underneath him. One day, I'm trying to talk to him. I text him. I'm emailing him. He's not replying. I go ahead and call him 1030 on a Wednesday and he's asleep. He I wakes up that. and he's sleeping and he goes, what's the problem? I, like, and he didn't even think that it was wrong was the thing where he just goes like, well, I'm getting my work done. Why can't I work from 1030 to two instead of nine to five? Um, so that was my reason for bringing it back. I think it's long needed because if everybody does it, most important part about it, society needs it. Yes. I have so many conversations with people that missed out on their college experience because COVID hit in their graduating year. I have so much empathy for people that graduated from college like a year before COVID hit and they got their first job and they're making all sorts of momentum and then they got laid off because COVID hit and they've never been able to come back and like get that. And I've also talked to some people and they're like, you know, mid twenties and I guess late twenties now, like 25 to 27, that they, that COVID was actually traumatic and really hard for them. Like it was scary. It was traumatic. It created this thing that turned them into people that stay at home and they work remote and they really struggle socially and getting back out there with people. There's a generation of like a gap from like 22 to 27 that 
Anyway, they, society needs it. We need to be back in the office because people need people. They need to learn how to talk to people again. Um, and I think that uh, we need to force people back to the office, even though we probably will make less money. And it could help the office industry too. But I think individuals need it. I've had so many empathetic conversations lately. Well, there it is, guys. Another positive episode. Maddie, any final thoughts before I wrap up? Are we good? I'll make this short. I'm just kidding. Do it. No. Ten seconds. Aaron, Aaron, that was that was that was my my end. I'm I'm making this short. No, but last piece to tie on to Aaron's. I know a lot of people are doing great and winning and optimistic. I also know a lot of people that are struggling right now and and feel the weight of a lot of things that are going on in the world and their business and their finances. Yes. And one of my favorite quotes is the key to success is knowing how to struggle well. And I know that every single one of you guys uh, have struggled over the course of your life, your journey, your business, right? Your marriage, everything. So I think it's just to remember as a reminder for people that uh, struggling is not a, a point of weakness. If anything, it's, it's an opportunity to lean in and connect with people that can elevate you and pull you up in those moments of struggle. And that those are the, honestly, the growth opportunities that weaponize you and prepare you for that next level that you are pushing towards. So don't stop, but don't struggle alone either. Yeah, I love it. Um, great place to end and exit. Definitely. We talked a lot about some very big ethereal topics today, but bringing back to, you know, struggling well, it's all about doing the things that we can control, right? doing things within our life and in our own ecosystems of, of what we can control. So um, thank you guys so much for listening to the King's Table podcast. Again, we are launching on audio platforms also. So please make sure that you subscribe. Uh, this week is our first week on Spotify and Apple and all the other podcasts. So make sure you subscribe, share it with somebody that you've Yep, 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 yep. Make sure that you leave a review. Make sure that you share it with somebody that you feel will get value from it. That is the cost of listening. And on behalf of my good friends, Mike Ayala, Maddie Atchison, and 